Hi, I'm Susanna, and this is The Susanna Gibbs Show. Our next guest is Amy Popel, award-winning author coming to Dallas in April for her fourth book, The Sweet Spot. Her books are as charming as she is, with richly crafted characters and stories you just don't want to end because you're so attached to the characters. If you're a book or writing nerd, like me, I would encourage you to go to our website, GibAgencyDallas.com. She talks a lot more about other authors she loves and a deeper dive into her process. And now, a word from my sponsor. Hi, I'm Susanna Gibb, owner of Gibb Insurance Services. Yes, I am the same person. With over 25 years of experience, we are your one-stop shop for all of your insurance needs. Home, auto, health, life, and business insurance, too. But because we rebranded two years ago, Google has us on page 10 of their search engine. And so any click to our webpage is a big help. Go to GibAgencyDallas.com to learn more about our agency, get a quote, catch the additional footage, or drop us a line about this podcast. Thank you in advance. And now, on with the show. On the podcast today, we have Amy Popel, who is the author of award-winning books, including The Sweet Spot, which is how... I discovered Amy when I read the Dallas Morning News article about her coming April 6th at 6 p.m. at Interabang Books to talk about Sweet Spot. Are you going to do a reading or are you, what's the plan at Interabang? The plan at the moment is that I'm going to be in conversation with the photographer, Laura Wilson, who's an old family friend, and I'm just crazy about her. I've just, I thought, I think her her photography is so beautiful. I have all of her books um, she's amazing. So hoping that her schedule holds tight and we will be in conversation together. And if not, we'll wing it. Maybe you'll come and interview me at the bookstore. <laughs> I would be happy yeah. to. Laura Wilson has one of my, when I just get a certain amount of money that I'm just going to blow on something, it is a piece of her art. I love it. Agreed. And she captures the Texas aesthetic so beautifully. Like I, I love her stuff. I also do not own anything other than her books, but um, that's a dream of mine too. Wow. I would love that. Yeah, she's really talented. So that helps me a little bit because they called you a Dallas native, but then you don't live here currently. What is your link to Dallas? So I was born and raised in Dallas and I was there until I was about 17 years old. I was a bit of a rebel in my teenage years, not the worst rebel in the world, but I was a little um, high energy, let's say. <laughs> Um, so I ended up going to boarding school after my junior year of high school. Years later, I taught 11th graders high school English. And I would say to them, you're lucky to have me as a teacher because I'm so qualified. I actually did 11th grade two times. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't maybe the, um, compliment I intend it to be. But um, yes, so I repeated 11th grade at a boarding school in Connecticut. And although I've been back many, many times, I mean, I come back all the time. I have family there. So I'm, I'm, I go back at least every year, if not several times a year. But I have not lived in Dallas since then. And you split time between New York, Connecticut, and Germany. And you're in Germany right I'm now. I'm in Germany, yes. What part of Germany? In Frankfurt. In Frankfurt. I've always yeah. heard great things about Frankfurt, but I've never gotten to experience it. It's a great city. It gets a bit of a bad rap. It's definitely the city that everybody flies through on their way somewhere else. I would suggest getting off the plane and at least spending two days here. It's 
a beautiful city on a river. Um, no, it is not as spectacular as, say, Munich. It's not as exciting as maybe Berlin, but it's a great, very livable, very walkable, lovely city. So I, I love coming here. And it's a nice break from New York. What part of New York are you in? Greenwich Village. Right, right where my book takes place. So it's very loud. It's very bustly. It's really fun there. Um, but sometimes it's nice to sort of escape a little bit of that energy and come to Frankfurt. Let's jump into your books because I'm excited to talk to you about your books, which you didn't start writing books into your 50s. Correct. This is a brand new career for me. I taught high school English, as I mentioned before. I worked in admissions at a school. I did some theater when I was very young, like right out of college. Um, I worked in a management consulting company for a brief spell. I always loved books. I've always been a reader. I've always thought it might be something that I wanted to do, but I think I just didn't have the stories in my head yet. And somehow with my kids hitting a certain age and having a little bit more time to myself, I just thought I would give it a try. And actually the first book I wrote, which was never published, is an East Texas story. I wrote a book that takes place in, I don't think I ever mentioned the city, but in my head it was Longview, Texas, which is like two hours east of Dallas. And it was a story that's really close to my heart, but it's really a book that I wrote poorly. Um, And in doing so, I learned what to not do and what to do when writing a book. So that one I just sort of put in the drawer, put to the side. I still think I might rewrite it as a screenplay someday. It's just a little fantasy of mine. But that was sort of the book that I wrote and made all my mistakes and figured out what to do and what not to do. Now, when you started writing this book, was it a conscious, I'm going to be a writer now? Or did you just... I never had that level of confidence, I think, in my ability to actually see a book through all the way to the end and then get an agent and then actually get it published. I, I don't think it was until I signed my first book deal, which is, you know, as I said, I was 50 years old when I signed that first book deal that I thought, oh, <laughs> I'm actually doing this. And then I thought, could I possibly do it again? Like, I don't, I don't know if I have another story in me. But I found out really quickly, and this this message got through to me after I wrote my Texas book that didn't make it, you always have to be thinking about the next thing. You know, you always have to be moving on to the next project. So when I wrote my first book, which was Small Admissions, which was, I mean, my first book that got published, I immediately started thinking, what's the next story that I want to tell? And now I'm doing it with my fifth book. I'm I'm coming up with the story for the next one. So it's, it's, it is definitely not that I sort of thought, now I'm a writer. It, I'm still working on getting that message to sink in. How many publishers did you have to approach before you found your home? Well, I got really lucky on the agency side because I met my agent who I just adore. Um, I met her and she read that Texas book and she said, I really like your voice, but I can't sell this book what else are you working on? And that was when I started to realize, okay, we got to be thinking about the next thing. I think she approached two publishers. The first one had suggestions, which is really rare. And I did a rewrite based on that publisher's suggestions, which were incredibly helpful. I'm still just so grateful, but she ultimately passed anyway, even after the rewrite. And we resubmitted it to my now publisher, Emily Bessler. And I've been at Atria, which is part of Simon & Schuster. And I've been with her ever since. I feel so lucky. I just found a home and I'm sticking with it. I think Emily is just brilliant. 
and it's a great publishing house and they've just been wonderful to me. So how did you find your agent? I got really lucky. I found my agent at a, I went to a dinner party and I was sitting next to a colleague of my husband and we just had the best time at this dinner and we were laughing and having so much fun. And she said, I hear you've been writing. My husband's in the sciences. So this was nothing to do with publishing. And she said, I hear you've been working on a book. And I said, yes, I have. And I don't know if it's any good. And she said, well, I have this very good friend who's an agent and I don't know if it'll work out at all, but I'm going to just put you in touch with her and we'll see what happens. So she put me in touch with this woman, Linda Chester, who just died a few months ago. I'm still sort of grieving that. I'm in very good hands now, but I'm very sad to have lost her. But she really took a shot. I mean, she said, send me some chapters. And I sent her some chapters of the Texas book. And she said, send me the whole book. And I sent her the whole book. And she said, I want to work with you. And she gave me a little bit of time to work on the Texas book. She didn't just sort of give up on that right away. She gave me a bit of time to work on it, but then she just ultimately decided it was not the right story for me to start with. And she just believed in me. Like there was something about the confidence that she had in me that really helped. I mean, I'm so lucky at this stage. Gosh, you never know who you're going to meet, do you? I mean, how wonderful is that, that you met that connection through a dinner party? Just incredible. You just never know how it's going to work out. Yeah. And I'm still so grateful to my husband's colleague who introduced us. I actually just had dinner with her the other night. And I said to her, I don't know that I ever would have published if I hadn't had that evening with you. And she says, oh, yes, you would have. You would have. But it is funny, serendipity, you know, the way things can sort of line up in a certain way and pan out. And I just have to say, I've I've been really lucky to come across a lot of women post 50 who have been just endlessly supportive and helpful and smart and given me great advice. And I've just been so lucky to meet so many women writers. I mean, I've got this whole community of writers now that I don't know how that even happened. And I'm just delighted. Wow. That's fun. You answered like two of my later questions (laughs) just in those two things. So I'm going to jump to the sweet spot, because this is the one that you're going to come and talk about. And the Dallas Morning News has a quote that says, you always seem to find the best in your characters. And I both agree and disagree with that statement. I thought your characters are so good. They're so, they're, they're, they feel like real people. And that's where I, I, that's the disagree part, because some of your characters you meet, and I'm going to talk about Evelyn I didn't like her at first, and then she grew on me, and then I read that she was the original in your whole process, that you you had started that story with her, and I think that was smart that you changed that. But anyway, I'm going to let you, if you will talk about that process of how you started with her and then went on to discover the other three characters were were the voice of the book. So the book takes place in my beloved Greenwich Village, and it really does center on three women who do not know each other. They're strangers at the outset of the book, and they quickly discover that they have every reason in the world to hate each other. And the book is sort of about their solving their own problems and making up for mistakes that they've each made, and then sort of coming together later in the book when this baby lands in their lives, and they end up helping each other to take care of this baby. I started with Evelyn, the, the, who's the mother of one of those characters. So she's one of the older characters in the book. And I just, 
felt this connection to her. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if I have this woman who's sort of apart from that action of the story, sort of sitting back and observing and giving her wonderful take on everything. And I was sort of, I sort of decided that that was the way I wanted to tell the story. And so, of course, I got to know Evelyn very, very well. The book was in first person when I first wrote it, all from her perspective. But the problem was to carry the first person narrative in a story. It's such an important role for a character. They're carrying the entire weight of the book in their hands. And that can be the most brilliant thing in the world when it's the right choice to make. The problem with my story is that I was writing a story about these three women and then I was writing Evelyn's perspective and I was trying to justify why Evelyn was just the right person to tell the story. So I kept trying to make her more important and give her more backstory and give her more of an arc herself. And all of a sudden, by the time I got to the end, I realized I had two books. I had a book about these three women in Greenwich Village and their journey. And I had this book about Evelyn and it didn't work. It, they didn't they didn't mesh together and I knew something was wrong but I couldn't quite figure out what it was and when I realized what was wrong it was such a painful day because that's starting over again from scratch you can't if it's first the whole book was written from I I saw this and I did that and when I decided to open it up and write the whole book in third person from many various perspectives, it was the most freeing thing in the world because all of a sudden I got to hear from all of these characters that I'd created. But it was horrifying because I had, I literally opened a new document, page one, nothing on it and started over again. But I think it was the right thing to do. I think getting a chance to hear that story from many different perspectives helped the narrative. Um, Evelyn's still in there. She's definitely in a reduced, a very reduced. And then I, I grew to like her. It was so interesting how, and I don't know if that's something that you consciously do or not, but my sympathies switched. Like initially I was really sympathetic to Felicity, but then when I met her through Melinda, I was on Melinda's side and I was not on Melinda's side. And so I felt this really lovely growth as I got to know the characters and who I thought they were initially and then how I came to know them, which is so much how you meet people. You meet people, you might not always gel with them right away, but then you get to know them a little better. You get to look past their little idiosyncrasies and find some common ground. But Yeah, I think there's usually something to find in people that we do appreciate at least, if not like. Um, for most of these women, I really wanted to show those changes. I mean, not just the, the change in the reader's feeling about them, which was really important to me, but also to see them undergo change and maybe come out better for it. You know, change can be so painful. Um, having your life upended can be so painful. But I'm so endlessly impressed with women's abilities to reinvent themselves and see themselves in a new light and and find strength that they didn't know they had and support each other. I'm just sort of endlessly fascinated and impressed with that. And I, that's one of the things I really wanted to do in this book. So even with Evelyn, yes, she's very 
tightly wound at the beginning of the book, and she's very uptight and sort of set in her ways. But she even says, I think it's around halfway through the book, that she's feeling that people have gotten slippery. She used to be able to sort of look at a person and judge them, and she's realizing that people are just a lot more complicated than that. The harder part for me was with my cheating husband, Russell, (laughs) because I give him a voice in this book too, and I don't like him very much myself. But to step into his head and to see the way he sees the world, it's so important for me to sort of let go of my own prejudices about a man who would cheat on his wife after 30 years of marriage. Like, I have just no room for that. But I had to write a chapter for him. I had to sort of step into his head and see how would he explain what he's done and how does he see it. And that might not make the reader like him anymore, but I do think it makes us just see things from a different perspective, which can maybe, if nothing else, just be interesting. So that's part of the challenge of all of this. I know that I read a little bit about your process, that you're not a big person to do outlines that you write and write and write and write and write, and then you go back and edit and edit. Do you, through these writings, do you feel like you have conversations with the characters or is it just the conversations that are happening on the page? It's the conversations that are happening on the page. But I think what happens is it's sort of like exactly what you said earlier. You meet a person at a party, say, and you don't like some little thing about them or they say something that hits you the wrong way. And you can't go home and write a book about that person. You just don't know that person well enough to go home then and write a book about, you know, or even a chapter about what they're thinking. So I sometimes feel like what I'm doing is somewhere a cross between becoming a memoirist and a psychologist for my characters, which just really all it means is getting to know them really well, figuring out who they are, what they would say, what they would do, what they absolutely would not say. And then realizing you've got to go back to chapter one because you had them say something or do something that you now that you know them better, they wouldn't do it. So that's where all the rewriting comes in for me. So did you, when you were writing The Sweet Spot, and I did, I haven't finished The Musical Chairs and, but I want to hang out with that main character. I liked her. She's just somebody that I was like, I want to be friends with her. Um, did you have the characters or the plot as the idea for the story? Which came first? For musical chairs or in general? The sweet in, spot. I'd say I had the characters. I really thought uh, Evelyn first, Melinda second. And then usually what I do is I have a premise. You know, I have some sort of a premise of what if, you know, what if this, what if that? Limelight, my second book, is the easiest example of that because I came up with this premise. What if a very badly behaved pop star was cast in a Broadway musical and encountered a regular everyday mom who suddenly ends up in this position to coach him through his Broadway run? That was sort of... So I wouldn't really say that that's plot. It's more just a notion in my head. And then I start thinking, well, who would that pop star be? And who would that mother be? And what's her family? And where did he come from? And how did this end up happening? And what's his current situation? And so you then, and then the plot sort of comes. How do you feel about women and writing? Is it harder as a woman writer than a male writer? Or is it better now. I don't remember what the statistic is, but we women are buying all the books. We buy most of the books. What I have a little bit of trouble with is this notion that if a woman has written a book and there are women in the book, it must be a book for women. 
because I read books all the time that are written by men that are about men. And I don't think I'm diving into the world of men's literature when I decide to buy a book written by a man, by a man about men. So I wish that that wasn't there. I wish that, um, that there wasn't this sort of idea that if the book is written by a woman, it must be a book for women. And that's not, of course that's not true across the board in literary fiction. Um, I don't think that that's, I, I hope that that is not something that men think about when they walk into the bookstore. I hope they think brilliant writer. That's something that I want to read that will enrich me and will fill me with wonderful ideas and thoughts. And um, so I hope that that's the case. In commercial fiction, and, and again, I'm not in the publishing world. I don't really, I just have my my instincts. I think a lot, that that is a bit of an attitude out there that if it's a commercial book, that it's women's fiction. In a way, that doesn't bother me because, as I said, women are buying all the books. And if I'm writing books for women, great. I love to write books for women. There have been calls for years in the film business for, we need more women writers. We need more women's, women's stories and I know that you've, you mentioned screenplay early on. Your books would make great, great plays, great movies. I love it. I really do love these female characters that I've created. And I love having books that have a 25-year-old and a 75-year-old or an 80-year-old. I love to sort of have a big range of ages. Um, and I've done crazy things. Like with um, my book, Musical Chairs, I went to see Deborah Messing on Broadway and put my book in a bag because I thought she was sort of in my head a lot when I was writing that book. I'm not really sure why other than I think she'd be a great Bridget. I just thought I just sort of had an image of her in my head. So I just wrote her a note <laughs> and I just passed it on to somebody on staff there to bring to her. I don't know if they ever did, but I was just like, it can't hurt <laughs> to gift Deborah Messing a book. Why not? Well, you never know who you're going to meet and who you're going to meet next. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't mention so far? Oh, that is so nice. Well, I just hope everybody's reading, reading, reading. There's so much wonderful TV out there right now that it's it's hard for me to, to make sure that I'm balancing my amazing Netflix viewing and my book reading. But I do think every time I read a book, I feel a little smarter, a little enriched, a little better. And by the way, in Terabang Books, shout out to them. That's the kind of amazing independent bookstore where if you walk in and you say to the staff there, like, I like this sort of book. What do you think I should read? They are so happy to help you and to help you find something in your genre. Never be ashamed of what you love to read. If, if romance is your thing, go for it. Why not? I, there's just an absolute surge of wonderful romance books right now. Well, thank you so much for being here with me. I'm excited to meet you in person on April 6th at Interabang, and I'm excited to finish Musical Chairs and get to see your next book and what you have coming. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you'll join us at Interabang Books in April. She has another book that she's working on where the story centers on families who swap houses. One is in Berlin and one is in our beloved Dallas. So that should be a ton of fun. If you'd like to connect with us, go to GibAgencyDallas.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we look forward to being with you again soon.